0: You're listening to Shifting Schools, episode 243. All right, welcome back to Shifting Schools. Another great episode here for you as we continue to get started in the 2023 year, uh, halfway through the school year. And we've got a great episode here for you today uh, with Dr. Wendy Wood, all around her book, Good Habits, Bad Habits. Trisha, do you want to give us a little more background about uh, our interview today with Wendy Wood?
1: Absolutely. So Professor Wendy Wood is a UK-born psychologist who is the provost professor of psychology and business at University of Southern California, where she's been a faculty member since 2009. She previously served as vice dean of social sciences at the Dornsiff College of the University of Southern California. So her primary research contributions are in habits behavior change, along with the psychology of gender. She is the author of the popular science book, Good Habits, Bad Habits. It was released in October 2019, and that book was featured in the Next Big Idea Club and was reviewed in The New Yorker and has been discussed in just about every popular media outlet you can imagine. So Jeff, as our listeners are listening into our conversation with Professor Wendy Wood, what's something that you think they should be looking out for?
0: Yeah. So I think one of the things to be looking out for is this idea of value-based judgments of your habits to what is the internal self-talk you have around your habits. Don't beat yourself up about it. If you miss a workout day, you miss a workout day. Um, and, and, trying to keep the judgment of especially forming new habits when you're trying to form new habits, we talk about that a little bit, but just trying to make sure that we have the right values, around the habits that we have and the habits that we're trying to form. So I think that's something to listen for in today's episode, for sure.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And when it comes to bad habits, um, you know, Dr. Wood also brings up this idea of sometimes we have those bad habits because they're just so darn easy. So how can we add friction and make them just a little less easy to do? So if you wanna spend less time on your phone or on social media, Could it make a huge difference if you just actually make sure the phone is not in the same room as you, that you're not keeping it in your pocket? Like, how are you just keeping it literally a little bit further out of reach?
0: Yeah. I like that. And the last one is just parent usefulness. I think, you know, as you're listening to today's conversation, one of the things I was thinking about, Tricia, is, you know, our tagline for this podcast is shifting schools conversations for K-12 educators. And that's why we're not always talking with K-12 educators on this podcast. But I think there's conversations like this that are for educators and the educational communities at large to be thinking about, Okay, what conversations are we having Around parents. What activities do we have? And in this book, you know, good habits, bad habits, if you have a PTO or a PTA uh, that's doing a book club and you are a, a principal or you're a teacher that is involved in that, this might be one of those great books to help support our parent community to have a conversation around. And I think this is a good time of year just to reflect on what are we doing to support parents in supporting our students and the learners in our in our schools as well. So I think that's something to just be thinking about in the back of your mind as you listen to today's conversation.
1: Absolutely. So for me, Jeff, I would say the big shifted thought from this episode is to think about ways that we can help students talk about and share, I guess what I'm going to call environmental hacks. Mm. So having those small group conversations where there's a student who has made a lot of progress or improvement, getting curious about, well, what's happening in your environment when you are doing your study routines? Like what's literally around you? Who are you studying with? Who aren't you studying with? Are you using music? Are you not using music? what time of day are you doing it at? And are you doing it at that same time of day every week? But just building up some, some kind of uh, transparency around the different processes because some of our students who do have good habits, as, you know, as Dr. Wood will point out, it's not as though they are just simply choosing to do the thing and then they do it, but there is the environmental context. Now, students actually might not know what some of their peers are doing so how can we make it a little bit more transparent? And again for ourselves, how might we talk to our peers um, you know about you know Jeff, I feel like as I moved further into my career, one of the most like dreaded tasks I had was report card comments, right mm. um, And I had talked to a peer at one point like, gosh, how do you get through it right like it's just it's 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 a huge task like I, I don't like doing it. And I had a peer say, you know what, I give myself this little like false reward, like I could do it at any time, but I do an hour of report card writing and I let myself go and buy one thing from, uh, you know, it was her favorite online store. And I adopted that and it was like, I'm going to buy myself one book after I've completed every hour of report card writing. And it worked. It was like the thing that helped uh, get me through that process. So maybe we also need to talk to one another about what's going on in our environment um, when we want to form better habits. I
0: love that, right? Because those are the when we talk about environmental hacks, it's it's little things like that. You know, on the report card thing, I was on the opposite end. I mean, like all teachers, you just dread that day when you have to get it done. But I always found for me, what I would do is it was usually a, a Saturday morning. I would set my alarm like I was going to school on that Saturday. I would. Be like today's report card Saturday. I'd set my alarm at the same time I got up at school. I would take a shower and go through my regular routine. And then I'd sit down at the dining room table with a pot of coffee and I just knocked them out. And I knew that if I could just sit down, no television on, you know, usually my wife was sleeping in because it was a Saturday or Sunday. I had the house to myself. And two, two and a half, three hours, I'd have them all done. And it's, you know, 10 o'clock in the morning. And I felt like I've accomplished so much today. And the rest of the day was like free. I was like, I don't have to accomplish anything else today because I got it done. Uh, But that was always my hack. You know, I would try because if I tried to do it, you know, three after school, I just couldn't, I just never got to it. So I had to hack my environment and get it set up. It was just like, I can still envision I had a cup of coffee with the pot sitting next to it because I wasn't getting up. I just fill in the coffee and just, you know, going at it. So that was always my environmental hack. Trisha, I'm wondering, as we kind of talk about this, because I think this is good. Like this is good for us all to kind of reflect on what are our environmental hacks, especially as we're talking here in the new year as well. You just recently moved homes and, you know, when you moved to Ontario How was it trying to set up new spaces and did you have any environmental things that worked for you in your old house that you're trying to recreate because your space changed? Were there any things that you're like, okay, I need a space that looks like this and it has my favorite teacup and it has my favorite, like, can you talk to maybe were there some of those hacks that you had to bring with you?
1: Sure. Well, you know, it's interesting. And, and Wendy Wood's book gets into this, that it kind of takes a disruption for you to even be aware of some of your habits because you get into autopilot mode and then you're yeah. just doing things and not really thinking about them. And of course, when I moved, it was like, well, I don't even know where the light switch is, right? Like my autopilot can't automatically turn on the light. In the bathroom, right? Right. Those kind of things. Um, But I wanted to actually maximize the idea of the move to set up a new exercise routine. So really important for us was we wanted to make sure there was a space that was for that. And I tried actually as quickly as we were moved in and boxes were unpacked, to just make that a part of like daily practice because I knew like my autopilot's kind of disrupted. So can I take advantage of the fact that my schedule is a little bit different? My life's a little bit different now um, and and really just kind of get right into that. And Mm -hmm. that was important to me. uh, But I will say, you know, that, that idea of what's around me because I knew where I was moving from. I had lots of access to outside trails. I wasn't going to have that. And I really wanted to be able to have that exercise is so important to me with, like, just reducing anxiety, right? Like, um, for me, I noticed such a big difference with that. So I knew, like, as soon as I move in, I need to try to start and get that routine going right away so that my autopilot doesn't say, like, oh, okay, we're not, you know, we're not going for a jog or we're not going for a run. All right. I didn't want that autopilot to get the wrong message there.
0: Yeah, I love that. I love that. And it's the same thing, you know, when we redid our house here two years ago, we did a full renovation of the house. Uh, a workout room was one of the things that we wanted to add. I I love working out. We both love working out. Um, it, it's and we 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 designed it so it can be both a workout room for me, but it's also our yoga studio. We love to do yoga together. Uh, And so we built it in a way that that is that, but we have a specific place in our house that that happens. And, and I love this idea of value judgment, right? If we miss working out or we miss doing yoga, it's not that, not that big of a deal. I mean, we feel bad because we skipped it or something, but we don't there's no self-shaming involved. It's you get back into it, uh, when you can, and you know, like, like anything go through times where I'm working out every day and then there'll be two months stretch where I might get in there twice <laughs> in two months. Uh, you know, but having the dedicated place and the dedicated time to actually do it is an environmental hack. Uh, and when the space is nice, when you've created a space that is, that is comforting to you, whatever that means to you, it just makes it so much easier for those good habits to form. And the reason why I to take time to talk about this because in the episode today we take these exact same ideas but we apply it to study habits you know if you're having students i i just i keep remembering all the time you know teachers saying well you just need to have better study habits well what the heck does that mean when you're 13 Mm -hmm. years old what does it mean to have a good study habit when you're 13 are we having conversations with students around these ideas of what's your environment What's the judgment on that? How are you structuring your time in your day to form that habit? If we just tell students and parents, your kid needs to have better study habits, that doesn't support anybody. That's what I love about today's episode. You know, today's episode is about digging in. It's a great book, Good Habits, Bad Habits. We'll have links to it down in the show notes. This is a great conversation with Dr. Wendy Wood. Before we get on to today's conversation, though, a quick word from today's show sponsors.
1: Learning to Asia is back November 2nd to the 4th of 2023. This event will be hosted at the International School of Bangkok, The theme for the next Learning to Asia is sparking change, moving beyond barriers. We are currently open for applications. If you are interested in leading learning at Learning to Asia 2023, please learn more about applications. Our deadline to apply is January 23rd. You can learn more by heading over to learningto.org. We look forward to shining a bright spotlight on the incredible diversity of talent in the Asia region.
0: All right, and with that, here is our conversation with Dr. Wendy Wood, author of the book, Good Habits, Bad Habits. And with that, on with the show.
1: All right. Welcome to the Shifting Schools podcast. Jeff and I are really excited to be here today with author of the book, Good Habits, Bad Habits by Professor Wendy Wood. We're going to jump right in with that conversation. Thank you so much, Wendy, for being here to discuss your book, Good Habits, Bad Habits. Before we... Talk about the insight that's within the book. I actually wanted to kind of back up and discuss the huge amount of research that went into this book. Um, Early on, you discussed using a technique that I had never heard of before. And we have a lot of teachers who are teaching research or some high schoolers who have extensive research projects. And I think they'll be interested in this technique that's called experience sampling. Would you talk a little bit more about how you used it and then maybe also just talk to how when we're doing research around habits, there's some really unique challenges that come up when we're trying to dig in and learn more about um, how we come to have habits?
2: That's a great question, Tricia. Thank you for that. Um, You're absolutely right that studying something like habits is a real challenge because you can't ask people about their habits so much of our experience we can just ask people about and learn how it feels to do, to be a certain type of person in a certain setting or we can learn what people are thinking about at any given time but the idea of a habit is that it's a behavior that you have repeated so often in the past in the same context that you don't have to think about it. So to ask people about habits is really, would be very odd (laughs) if they could actually tell you a whole lot about their habits and how they perform them. Now, to be clear, we can observe our behavior, but there's a bias that we all have, particularly in America, To think that we're making choices, to think that we're in control of our behavior, that we're deciding to do things. So given that habits themselves are not easy to introspect about and that we have this bias to actually think, oh, I must have chosen to do that. That's why I did it. Then you have to look for novel methods to study habits. You're not going to find out much about them by asking people directly. So when we first began studying habits, which is about 30 years ago, we used this technique that you mentioned called experience sampling. And what that does is it assesses people every 15 minutes, half an hour, every hour and gets their reports of what they're doing at the moment. Mm-hmm. And then we also asked them in our research. First we asked them what they were thinking about, and then we asked them what they were doing. And it's from those studies that we came up with the estimate which you may have heard of if you think much about habits that 43% of our behavior every day is repeated in a habitual way, meaning you're just doing what you've done in the past in a given context, and you're thinking about something else other than what you're doing. So your behavior is automated in some way.
1: And for me, that's, you know, in the world of education, I think that's one of the most important things that you had me thinking about was just how much all of us are on autopilot but that perhaps there are some ways, you know, there are sometimes it's very good to be on autopilot, but there are other areas of our life where we want to maybe scratch at that a little bit and really um, bring a critical lens to, is that automation or is that autopilot taking me in the direction that I want to go? So on page 43 of your book, you present the working definition of a habit, which I also thought was really interesting, the notion of when we're talking about habits what exactly are we talking about? So I'm going to quote from your book here that working definition is quote, a mental association between a context clue, cue and a response that develops as we repeat an action in that context for a reward. So in your experience, now that the book has been out since 2019, what is the aspect of that working definition that you think might be getting too much attention when we think about working towards better habits?
2: Yeah. So as you repeat that definition, it sounds pretty complex. It's Mm -hmm. really not. It's um, your dog has habits. And I recently trained mine to, um, to play fetch with me. She's an older dog that we adopted. So she didn't play with toys when she was a puppy and it doesn't come naturally to her. But even dogs learn Through habit and habits are just as you say, the simple, simple associative learning where we learn to associate a context standing in front of our sink in the morning and a behavior brushing our teeth that and we initially did it because it got some reward. But then over time, as we repeat it over and over, the reward becomes less important because the behavior is cued by just standing there. You don't have to think, do I want to brush my teeth? Is this my goal today? Do I have time? (laughs) Most of us just don't have that sort of internal discussion with ourselves about habits because the behavior automatically comes to mind and we just act on it. that's my understanding of what habits are and it's it's pretty generally accepted in the research area that um this is this is a standard definition of habit but you asked is there something that we focus on one thing that we focus on more than others and yes definitely we tend to focus on rewards Hmm. and there's a good reason for that that goes along with my claim have good data for it, um, that people tend not to understand that they're acting on habit, they think they're making decisions. And we make decisions to achieve goals to um, you, you might get on social media, because you want to connect with friends, you um, start studying certain subjects, because you want to get a good grade, we're very aware of our goals. And they do drive our behavior at times, (laughs) when it's new, when we're doing something new, when we are um, trying trying to be creative or thought deliberation, of course, that's very goal-driven. But as you said, a huge amount of our behavior is not. And so understanding the, role, the appropriate role of goals, which is they're important initially for behavior, but once it becomes a habit, you're not thinking about the outcome or whether you want to do something or whether it's going to make you happy, whether it's going to help you become successful in life. What you're doing is you're responding to the cues around you. It's like It's like the difference between studying because... You're trying to earn a scholarship and studying because it's your habit. You get home from school, you pull out all your books, and you just do the work before you do anything else because that's your routine. Um, And so much of what we do is done in that routinized way, that habitual way.
1: And I'm, I'm wondering, you know, we, in the world of education, often I've had, I can't even count how many conversations with parents and caregivers where they might be feeling frustrated about their child's study habits, um, in particular, you know, with high schoolers that I've worked with, the idea of, you know, it's just that they're on their phone and then it gets too late before they start their work. And I'm wondering if, again, what your research is pointing us to is really questioning that that context, that routine, like what is happening? How might they add some friction or how might they disrupt that routine? Um, You know, that word friction comes up a lot in the book and the idea of if there's no friction between like what I have to do. and, And this is why like I've bought things off Instagram. It's just a click. And then, oh, did I need to spend that $30? did I need another pair of sweatpants? Probably not, but there was no friction to that. So, um, you know, has this sort of shaped the way that you're thinking about your own habits or, you know, if people are getting frustrated about, gosh, you know, they're just doing that again and again, you're sort of saying, look, it's not necessarily that they are choosing to delay their homework. It's let's investigate the environment, what they're doing in the day to day. Is that sort of a...
2: Yeah, that's a great example, actually, because um, I don't know that there are too many high school kids who love to do homework, so (laughs) would do it out of intrinsic motivation. I mean, there are a few, I know there are, but there aren't a whole lot in my experience having raised several children. Um, (laughs) so, So what understanding of habits does is it shifts your focus from thinking about, okay, why don't you have the right goals? Why aren't you working? Why don't you have the right values? To more, how can I help you repeat this behavior mm. so that it becomes easy, reducing friction, um, and enjoyable, at least initially, play music, um, have, uh, sit down and, and do your work while your kids are doing their homework, so it becomes sort of a family project. Um, Those are the kinds of things, whatever you think would motivate your child in the moment, not long-term goals in the moment, and make it easy, reduce friction. You're absolutely right. Um, Marketing, consumer behavior, researchers know well the power of friction. And they know if you're online, two clicks, and they lose customers. Mm-hmm. Single click purchase, and they've got you. So that's a great example of how reduced friction can really make a behavior much more likely.
0: Can you maybe talk to? I, I love this because you know, to Tricia's point, we talk a lot about you know study habits or study behaviors. Are there any things that young young parents with young children can do? You know, I'm thinking like third, fourth, fifth grade, heading into middle school to help support forming, we'll say, study habits uh, at a young age. Like, what are some of those routines or structures that we see that we can as as parents set up early that hopefully have that benefit that when you get to middle school, high school, university, that that the habit takes over? Are there certain routines that you see specifically with with younger? Uh, younger children that that help to to build that over time?
2: Well, I'm not an educational psychologist, and um, so I hesitate to make too many concrete recommendations, except to say from a habit perspective that what you want to do is you want to make it, as we said, easy Mm. for children to come home from school Maybe do something for half an hour and then get focused back on reading with you, on singing, listening to music, doing something that is more sort of study-like mm. so that they get used to that routine and then can build on it, can do what we call stacking new habits onto old ones. and. If you think about all of this as a progression of learning easy habits and then um, as in middle school when classes get more difficult and high school, you already have the basic structure down. Your kid is used to coming home and then um, maybe relaxing for a few minutes and then getting into the work and getting it over with before they do other things. Um, so if you can get those patterns down, that should make it easier to form the kinds of steady habits that we'd want kids to have. Mm.
1: Well, and I wonder if that you know uh, your your research that suggested folks who were trying to build in that daily exercise routine that when it was at a definite time every single day, you know, it was scheduled, they were more likely to sustain that rather than like, oh, I'll try to fit it in because you know, inevitably, if the time isn't saved, you know, it, right. it can it can just get sucked up into something else. So I wonder too, is there something there? for let's just establish this routine of from this time to this time, this is what we're doing. And that autopilot starts to take over, um, you know, if maybe that's an interesting approach. But I I really appreciate that what you're suggesting is moving away from like a shaming or, a you know, that it's not necessarily a values. It's not necessarily that, oh, I don't care about this or, you know, my child doesn't care about that. Um, but again, thinking about all of those environmental factors, you know, the tech comes up in it too. And you mentioned in the book, the idea of even if the phone is away or in a different room, that creates a little bit of friction, um, you know, rather than just grabbing the phone, getting onto social media, even if it's in the other room, that's going to slow me down from losing, you know, five minutes of just scrolling or something like that. So I'm, I'm thinking too, Jeff, with some of our younger learners, maybe it's not always thinking about the, what do we have them do, but where can we have them add some friction to the distractions? Right. Mm. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I like that. And I like this idea of stacking too, you know, um, you know this Tricia, but uh, we just came back from visiting our goddaughter who's at Tulane university down in new Orleans and, you know, very successful through school, very successful high school student. And of course hits college And hits a high research university like tulane and this these first four months have been a struggle but the habits are there and i mean i think it's been really cool to be able to to have these conversations and see she had these habits and these routines that she could lean on and when things get really rough she went back to the routines that she knew Uh, and that's what's getting her through and then she's able to stack new routines and new ways of studying because she's in a new environment on her own. She doesn't have mom, dad to say, Oh, you had your half hour break. It's time to sit down and do your work, right? You're on your own, but that habit has been formed and she's able to stack different things on top of it. And she's finding her way, you know, and it was really fun to go down and visit her and to have her talk about the ways that, you know, habits that she never, she didn't have to have those routines in high school. Because she got through high school just fine without those routines. But she's had to build new routines into the habit of studying to, to be successful. But because that foundation was there, she's being able to struggle and work her way through it. And it's kind of cool to, to kind of have these conversations and then actually see it play out uh, as somebody in my own life. So that's that's been that's been pretty cool as well. That's a great um,
2: story. I like that.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I wanted to talk a little bit about. Uh, this idea of our relationship uh, with our technology. And on, on page 234 of your book, you dig into the, the idea to benefit and strive, uh, this idea of heightened habit awareness. I just love that. I'll say that again, heightened habit awareness. I love that saying. Uh, because this episode is airing during the start of the new year, it is fair to say that you know New Year's resolutions are going to be everywhere uh, this time of year. Uh, Can you maybe talk about how might our audience of K-12 educators strive to help induce habit awareness with our young learners in their lives? What are some things that maybe we can do to to support young learners uh, with their heightened habit awareness?
2: Well, I think that part of what people need to understand in general about habits is they just don't work the way we Mm. think they do. So New Year's resolutions start with a new goal, right? And a commitment to achieve that goal. And usually we rely on ourselves to achieve that goal. I'm going to stick with it this time. Most people, their New Year's resolutions are about health, weight, finances, they say, I'm going to stick with it this time. I'm going to get healthy. I'm going to fix my financial situation. I'm going to be solvent. I'm, But they're relying on themselves to do it. And as we've talked about, the environment is really important for these kinds of repeated behaviors. So you'd actually be better off if, You do form New Year's resolutions to study more. I'm sure many students and their parents are interested in that resolution, Um, to actually achieve in school, to be committed. You do much better to focus on the situation, the context around you. So how do I make for a good study area at home? How do I make it easy for myself to study and not be distracted by all of these electronic devices and video games? What you do is you turn them off. Mm -hmm. So they're not easily accessible. You turn off your phone while you're studying. If you absolutely have to use it, if something happens, it's there. But it's turned off, and that small amount of friction reduces people's use of cell phones. It's interesting. We wouldn't think it would, right? We'd think that people would have to make a decision to do something different. But instead, just shifting the environment by making the unwanted behavior slightly more difficult. doesn't have to be a whole lot more, just a little bit more. And the desired behavior easier that's going to have much more staying power than your commitment and your self-control. It's awful to admit that as a person, but it's the way we are. We get distracted. <laughs> we have lots of goals in life. There are many things we're trying to accomplish in addition to studying, being healthy, Financial solvency. Mm.
1: I love that because I think, again, it poses the question of where are you, who's around you, or who's not around you, uh, you know, when you are able to focus best. Because I think also sometimes students will organically say, I'm going to study with my best friend or my friendship circle. And that might actually not be the best environment because you've got plenty of other things that are more interesting to discuss uh, with that group. So uh, again, you have me thinking about ways that we might help students reflect on when you are having those successful experiences, you feel like you're really deeply able to focus or you're able to complete that task perhaps a little bit quicker. What was going on around you? And what might have been different from from some of the other times where it was so difficult to really get into the groove or to find that focus, well, um, because I I really think part of that conversation is yes, there are folks who are friends and we get along with really well, but they might not necessarily be our our best uh, collaborative partners, right?
0: Well, and I love what you're saying too. Is it, it really I mean the the power of your environment? I think a lot of times we underestimate the power of the environment that you're trying to get work done in and I think we saw this come out during the pandemic when all of a sudden students are learning from home or having to go to school from home what was the environment that those children were trying to learn in and we are seeing you know that environment whatever it was like whether or not you know parents were able to set up a specific school spot inside the house that created an environment for that child to be successful versus if you weren't able to and having the student try to go to school at the kitchen table with the dog running around and mom and dad on their own zoom calls. And you know, that environment might not have been the best to be as successful as it was. And so I think even having conversations with students around what is your environment and what environment do you need to be successful? And if you, if you want to be successful, it might mean changing your environment in some way. As simple as turning off your cell phone is changing your environment. But also is setting up a work workout station in your house. Like if you have a spare bedroom, can you turn it into a workout room so you have a different environment instead of just, you know, having the having the Peloton in the corner next to the television where it's just part of the living room. You know, I mean, that, the environment, I think, really makes an impact. That's what I'm hearing you say anyways. It really does have an impact of helping you even change change habits.
2: Exactly. I have a son who, is, <clears throat> my older son, is a really committed bike rider. He's a racer. And even he, and his motivation level is really high. Even he has to put his trainer in front of his sofa, Mm. so that when he comes home from work at night, he has to physically move it in order to sit down on the sofa. It makes it much more likely, he says, that he's going to work out that, that. evening because he's going to come home from work feeling tired. Right. and But he also wants to, to work out and keep his level of fitness up. So figuring out how to set up the environment ahead of time mm is a really important skill that people can learn in their, if they're trying to change habits or even maintain existing ones, it can be helpful.
1: Uh, yeah, I, I really appreciate that. And I, I do think maybe, again, with New Year's resolutions, maybe the best one to have is actually to get more curious about your environments and the impact that they're having on your behavior. Um, Thank you so much for coming to share more about your book. I think this is a great one for professional learning libraries and schools and definitely is a great read. You know, often schools will do some book talks with their parent caregiver community. Um, I think it's got real power and and emphasis there. Um, Wendy, if folks want to reach out to you about doing any. Um, you know, sort of guest author, researcher discussions with their community. What's the best way to get in contact with you? Um, Well,
2: I I have a website at USC. um, So they can just type in Wendy Wood on Google and they should be able to get me either at my USC website or my book website.
1: That's great. We'll be sure to include those in the show notes because listeners, actually, if you just Google Wendy Wood. You're going to get all of her other phenomenal <laughs> interviews as well. You've been all over the place. Um, great interview with you on NPR that I really enjoy that takes a different look at the book. So Jeff, maybe we'll include that link as well. Jeff, I know that our audience loves reaching out to you. Where's the best place for them to reach out and be in touch with Jeff?
0: Oh, thanks, Tricia. You can find me anywhere uh, on social medias at J Udic, And don't forget to check out uh, Trisha's pride and joy at the moment her shifting schools pod tiktok account uh where the, you will also find behind the scenes footage of this interview and others that we've done in the past couple months trisha how about you what do you where where do people find you these days you know,
1: Jeff, I'm actually going to make a different endorsement in light of today's topic. I am a huge fan of Goodreads. Yeah, I love I like documenting that. my reading. And every year, actually, I set myself up with the challenge to read 100 books a year. So Wendy, yours was one of mine for 2022. So folks can find me by searching Trisha Friedman at Goodreads. But um, I'll say that that's a great space to connect because I love knowing what other educators are reading as well and and what you might have on your to-be-read shelf for 2023.
0: Awesome. Wendy, thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to be here to discuss your book, Good Habits, Bad Habits with us and uh, the educational community. So really appreciate it. Oh, it's
2: good fun. Thank you for asking me.